Today's Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 through to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and is seated and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Today I want to talk about the basics, the what, why and how of Christianity. And I have three simple goals for this message. First, I want to explain from the Bible's perspective why everyone needs a relationship with God. Second, I want to explore how to begin a relationship with God. And third, I want to explain what a relationship with God actually looks like. Three things. Why everyone needs a relationship with God. How to begin a relationship with God. And what a relationship with God actually looks like. It probably won't shock you to know that I'm a Christian. I have been for several years. And I believe the Bible holds the truth about God. But before I dive into the Bible today... I want to acknowledge that it can be very difficult to become a Christian. On a human level, it's difficult because if you've spent your whole life avoiding thinking about God, or if you've already got a strong view of how the world works, it's very difficult to change your mind. It's fair to say that most people find it very difficult to change their minds on anything, really, especially the big things. And yet, what we see in history from the year 30 AD onwards is an absolutely radical shift in what so many people believed. You had all sorts of people in the ancient world starting to believe in Jesus. Romans, Greeks, barbarians, Jews, government officials, philosophers, fishermen, slaves, healthy people, sick people, poor people, rich people, men and women. So many different sorts of people starting to become Christian. Why did all these people shift their worldview? And why is Christianity the world's largest religion today, 2,000 years later? Over 12 million people call themselves Christians just here in Australia, according to the last census. If you want to understand the world around you, if you want to understand history or society as it stands now, you have to understand Christianity. Christianity impacts everyone, so it's worth at least a little bit of everyone's time to investigate. So the first question to ask is, why does the Bible say we all need a relationship with God? The short answer is this. 
Christians believe that to live life as it's meant to be lived and to have eternal life, you need to be in a right relationship with God. In the first wave of Christians in Jesus' time, a man named Paul wrote to Christians in Ephesus or modern-day Turkey and he reminded them what they were like before they had a relationship with God. Ephesians 2 verse 1, he says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The Bible says we're dead because we don't have a right relationship with the one who gave us life. And so we can't live life the way it's meant to be. Much like when you rip a tree from the soil, it looks alive, but it's not because it's been ripped away from what gives it life. We rip ourselves away from the source of life when we ignore God, when we disobey God, because he made us, he is our life. The Bible says this is a universal problem. Everyone sins. And when everyone refuses to live life the way it's supposed to be lived, the world devolves into something it's not supposed to be. And I think everyone would agree the world is not as it should be. The difference between Christians and others, though, is what we believe the root cause to be. In the early 1900s, the London Times newspaper put out a question to the public and asked for submissions. The question was, what's wrong with the world today? People submitted essays putting forth all sorts of suggestions. Some said lack of education was what's wrong with the world. Others said war, disease, greed. The story goes that a Christian named G.K. Chesterton submitted a response. It was one sentence long. In response to the question, what's wrong with the world today, he wrote this. Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. That's what Christians believe. Behind every problem in life is the problem, the ultimate problem of our sin, our ignoring God. I am what's wrong with the world. I can't shift the blame onto others. I am part of the problem. The human heart is not what it ought to be. Now, you might say, all this sounds interesting, but I'm not that bad. Sure, I don't pay God much attention, but I'm a good person. I treat people with respect. What I love about the Bible is that it is more honest than we are and exposes where we let ourselves off too easily. Jesus took the laws of his culture and he said, the law says, do not murder. But I tell you that anyone who gets angry with a brother or sister has committed murder in their heart. The law says, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that if you've looked at a woman or a man lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. You see, when we weigh up our actions, we weigh up what people can see, but God sees right through our hearts, our very thoughts. The Bible says no one is righteous, not one. No one seeks God, all have gone astray. Our problem is not just that we break life's rules. Our problem is we reject the one who makes life's rules. We reject our relationship with God. Now, the consequence is that we're dead now and we will continue to be dead in the future. The Bible promises eternal life for those who have a relationship with God, but eternal judgment or hell for those who don't. That's why in Ephesians, Paul describes those outside a relationship with God as being objects of wrath. It's a frightful thing to be in the hands of an angry God. And yet God is angry with sin. So where does this leave us? When the Bible says we are dead in our sin, that means we are spiritually unable to reconcile ourselves to God. To be dead is to be powerless. 
Part of becoming a Christian, therefore, is acknowledging that we need rescuing. We can't save ourselves. If you're drowning in a rip in the ocean, you can't save yourself. All you can do is hope for someone else on a jet ski to come and pull you out. That's a pretty good image of what Christians think of sin. We're stuck in it. We're dead in it unless we're rescued. So, and this is the second point, how do we get a relationship with God? If there is a God, in order for us to know God, God has to make himself known to us. We aren't born with an intrinsic understanding of who God is. Christians do not rely on gut feel to figure out who God is. We rely on revelation, God revealing himself. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Jesus is God come into the world as a person. Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus also said it's not as easy as we might think to be right with God. Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. I don't know about you, but being born again sounds difficult to me. The guy he said it to was understandably confused. Jesus also said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. Now, if you, like me, live in Australia, you're likely in the top 1% of wealth ownership globally. We're rich, so the whole camel through the eye of a needle thing does not bode well for us. The point is this, it's not easy to reconcile people and God. In fact, if it were up to us, it'd be impossible. But fortunately, it's not up to us. It's up to God. The Bible says that God is the ultimate decision maker. He's the one with all the power, the power to do the impossible. So does God reject us like we reject him? What does God do with his power? Does he smash us or something else? Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 have to be two of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible. You were dead in sin. You were under God's wrath. But verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. How does anyone enter a relationship with God? By God making them alive. Why would God make anyone alive? Because of his great love for us. Notice that it's not that he likes us or he tolerates us. No, because of his great love for us. Now, hold on. If people reject God, we don't deserve his love. Exactly. It's not fair. It wasn't fair that Jesus took our sin on his shoulders and died in our place for our sin. But that's what grace is all about. Grace is an undeserved gift. God's love towards us is a gift. It's not something we earn. It's not something we work towards. It's a gift. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. Jesus died to take our sin and its punishment onto himself. And he gives those who trust in him his righteousness and his right standing with God. But again, why? Why does God love us? Why would God love us? Why does God love us? There comes a point when you can't ask why anymore. All we can know about God is what he chooses to reveal to us. Some people don't think God is loving. Some people think God is aloof. Some people think he's dispassionate. Some people think he's malicious. But that's just someone's vibe. Knowing God is not a gut thing. It's not a vibe thing. It's a revelation thing. God reveals his love for us by sending Jesus to be seen, to be heard, to die on the cross for us, even while we were sinners. Once you see Jesus, you realize that the first principle governing the universe is this fact. God loves. God is love. Not because we are lovable, but because in his very nature, he is love. 
But how do we know Jesus' death on the cross was really God's love message to the world? Because not only did he die, but on the third day, he rose again, back to life, physically. He appeared to hundreds of people who then went and spread the good news, the gospel. That's why Christianity spread like wildfire through the ancient world and became the world's most widely held belief. Because people saw the risen Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, and they became witnesses of the event of his resurrection. The reason from 30 AD onward so many people changed their worldview is because the evidence was overwhelming. Jesus had risen from death. It's that good news that changed the world. And it's that good news that continues to change lives all over the world today. In Ephesians, we read that when God the Father raised Jesus to life, in that very event, he also raised to life those who would have faith in him. Throughout Ephesians, we get the language with Christ, in Christ, If you're in Christ, it's like being in an aeroplane. If you've trusted the aeroplane enough to be in the aeroplane, your fate is tied up with the fate of the aeroplane. It goes up, you go up. It lands safely, you land safely. Even if there's some passengers, they're new to air travel, they're nervous. And you've got others who've uh, flown 100 times before and they're cool, they're not nervous at all. The strength of the faith is not the issue. It's the strength of what the faith is in, the strength of the aeroplane. If you put your faith in Christ, even faith the size of a small seed is enough to change your life and enter you into eternal life. Because Jesus has risen never to die again. Our future has already been guaranteed by what's happened in the past. If you're a Christian, ask yourself, when were you saved? You could say when you became a Christian. But I think a more accurate answer is this. I was saved 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from death to life. That's when we were saved. That's the moment that guaranteed our being rescued from death to life. Now, here's another thing to realize. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. So what is faith? Faith can be defined as trust or putting your confidence in. I have faith in you if I trust in you, if I put my confidence in you. I have faith in Jesus if I trust in Jesus, if I put my confidence in Jesus. Now, there's a wide range of perspectives around the religious landscape about how to be right with God and how to go to heaven. Most religions say it's about doing good work so that God will deem us acceptable to welcome into heaven. It's transactional. We do godly deeds. We get God's tick of approval. There's this common idea that when we die, God will weigh our good deeds and our bad deeds to see whether we deserve heaven or hell. But what does the Bible say? Ephesians 2 verse 9 says, it's not by works. It's not by works. What we see in the Bible is the opposite of what you see in most other major religions. We're not saved by sacrifices we make. We're saved by a sacrifice God made. We're not saved by our merit. We're saved by God's mercy. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Jesus has already done. Contrary to popular belief, salvation is through and through 100% a work of God. Now, one implication of this is that anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved, no matter their track record. Uh, The thief on the cross who uses his dying breath to ask Jesus for a relationship is given one. The worst sinners have no less claim on the gospel than the greatest saints. The gospel levels the field. Now, some people think they're pretty good. They don't need saving. Some people think they're so bad they can't be saved. Now, Paul comes along and he says, look, we're all dead, but God can raise the dead. We all need saving and God can save anyone. 
An obvious implication is that because we're all saved by grace, we've got no reason to boast. Can you imagine a swimmer being pulled from a rip in the ocean by a lifesaver and then getting up and saying, good thing I'm a strong swimmer? That'd be crazy. More than that, it would be a slap in the face to the person who rescued him. And this is the same in Christianity. Jesus alone gets the praise because he alone took the punishment. So far, we've seen why everyone needs a relationship with God and how we enter into a relationship with God. So now here's the final point. What does a relationship with God actually look like? At the end of the passage, Paul says, we were created in Christ for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Christians don't do good work to earn God's love, but we do good works because we love God and want to live his way. First and foremost, a relationship with God involves being genuinely thankful to him for making us alive. Some of you will say, I grew up as a Christian. I've never not known God. Now that is a blessing, but you have to remember that Ephesians 2 does apply to you also. You were dead in sin, but God made you alive by grace. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a renowned Welsh preacher from the last century, said, The ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of amazement that we have at the grace of God. What he's saying is a good way for you to gauge how you're going in the faith is to ask, am I still amazed at the grace of God? A relationship with God involves communication. Just like any relationship, Christians want to listen to God. We believe the Bible is God's word to us and that's why Christians want to study the Bible and get to know God better. On the flip side is our talking to God, prayer. The Bible says we should pray to God and share with him our anxieties, our requests, our praise. A relationship with God also affects our relationships with others. Now, because anyone can be saved, we should pray for and expect all kinds of people to want to know Jesus. People of all ethnic backgrounds. One thing to notice about Ephesians is that Paul's a Jew writing to a bunch of Gentiles. The Christians in Ephesus were likely Gentile pagans who used to worship multiple gods, totally different cultural backgrounds. And yet Paul says, because you and us, Jews and Gentiles alike, are saved by grace, we can come together in unity. We can assimilate to each other in humility because despite our cultural differences, we have this in common. We were dead and now we're alive. So let's do life together. It's interesting. If you look at how religions spread themselves across the world, all major religious groups exist primarily in one geographic area. The vast majority of Muslims are in Asia Pacific, Middle East, North Africa. The vast majority of Buddhists and Hindus are in Asia. The vast majority of Jewish populations are either in North America or Israel. But when you look at the global landscape of Christianity, it's almost completely evenly spread across the continents. Christianity has the greatest ethnic balance of any major religion. And I think that is a testament to the fact that in Christ, salvation is so freely on offer to all people. Anyone can be saved, no matter their track record or background or gender or culture. We're all equally stuck in sin. By God's grace, he pulls some of us out. The grace of God leads to a new opportunity for radical unity in the church you won't find anywhere else in the world. Now, a relationship with God also looks like loving our families, our spouses, our children, our parents, being subject to one another. Now, throughout the rest of Ephesians, Paul is going to unpack more and more 
what it looks like to love our families and those around us. If you want to explore more what it means to be a Christian, I would highly recommend continuing to tune into these videos during lockdown, get in touch, reach out to the church via phone or email. We want to help you keep exploring these things, then come along to church when this lockdown's over. But I hope you've seen this today. We all need a relationship with God because without one, we're dead, we're powerless. Our lives aren't as they should be and we're headed for God's judgment. But because of God's great love for us, He's made us alive with Christ. We're saved by God's grace through faith. No one can boast. All we can do is give God the glory and seek to live for Him by trusting Him, loving Him and loving others. Keep tuning in for more. Feel free to get in touch. For now, thank you for listening.